0: What's going on? Welcome to Base Liberty, episode 30. Darren Wisely here, as always, so happy to be with you. Today is Friday, October 30th, 2020, and I guess it's the Halloween episode, but what really could be spookier than how 2020 has played out? I mean, when you sit back and think about it, could Stephen King write a novel this scary? I mean, I I don't think so. You're talking about this virus. Of course, I'm not talking about spooky from the threat to the virus. I'm talking about spooky from the tyranny of the government. Spooky as in Americans being told they can't go to church, can't go to work, have to wear cloth everywhere they go on their face. People just completely losing their minds. Any semblance of common sense... I mean, it's scary stuff. Uh, This whole year has been really one big nightmare. And, of course, how the next couple weeks play out. uh, (laughs) Well, I don't want to jinx it. But uh, certainly things could get worse just when you think they couldn't. That's for sure. So a couple housekeeping things. I added... To the website, choosewisely.org, and that's wisely spelled like my last name, W-I-S-E-L-E-Y. I I added a resources tab. Uh, I've been getting some questions about different books I've recommended. So I'm building a reading list. Uh, I've probably got 15, 20 books up there, whether it's political philosophy, economics, constitutionalism. We've got it all. I'm going to uh, continuously update it, so not a ton there, but I will. But I'm also going to have more than just reading. I'm going to have articles, uh, website resources, different things like that because for people who are really into this stuff and want to dig deeper, it can be overwhelming. There's so much information out there where to begin. So I want to be able to point you, and there are people out there so much smarter and so much more knowledgeable than me, I want to point you to them because they'll be able to really get you deeper into the into the weeds uh, with their knowledge a lot more than I can. So if that's something that interests you, I'll definitely check out the website periodically. Get on the email list if you're not on there. You can get on for free. And then I let you know when I update it so you don't have to just, you know, check every once in a while or whatnot. It takes a while to to do these things. So uh, I would have liked to have it all up now, but uh, it's a process but we are growing the show uh, 10 countries now so really appreciate your support. as I said at the beginning we're on episode 30 so subscribe wherever you're listening, leave us a review if you haven't. Share this with your friends. Uh, that's how they're gonna get to know the truth because we know the mainstream media really just doesn't report any of any of the stuff that Americans or people around the world need to know. And if you want to help us help keep us going, you can always throw a few bucks my way on the website and every penny invested goes right back here into the show so we can bring you more content, not just podcast episodes, but resources so we can preserve what liberty we have left and you're also welcome to interact with me. I've got a Twitter uh, Facebook page, so you can check those out if those interest you, and again, if you don't feel like looking all that up, just go to choosewisely.org, everything is there, and wisely is W-I-S-E-L-E-Y. So today's episode is about the neocons. You might be saying, well, what exactly is a neocon? I've heard the term. If you go back all the way to episode three, I do an entire episode telling you who the neocons are, their history, how they aren't actually conservative at all. If you want that scoop, check out episode three, but I'll just give a brief rundown as a refresher. Now, the neocons during the Cold War were old Democrats, social Democrats, or even socialists who didn't like how radical the left was going in terms of the countercultural and anti war movement. So they joined the Republican Party. Now, many of these folks were New Dealers. Some of them even supported the Great Society. So they really aren't conservative at all. They're But they infiltrated that Republican Party. And that's a lot of why you see the Republican Party move left in the last several decades. Their champion at this time was Irving Kristol. Neocons are really defined as hawkish on foreign policy. Now, There's a lot of subgroups, a lot of differences from one to the next. It's not like they all are this exact same ideology, but foreign policy is where you're going to find their defining characteristic. Uh, It's this Wilsonian, we have to spread democracy all around the world, whether people like it or not. And the neocons, of course, came to their pinnacle during the George W. Bush administration. Pretty much everyone surrounding the second Bush, could be classified as a neocon. Neocons also love big government. They're what a lot of people call the big government Republicans. They love bureaucracy, bureaucratic management. So they're really not that different from the left. I would say they're actually a part of the left. They're just a little bit softer in terms of, well, we don't want full-on socialism. So with that being said, I wanted to jump, this is an article from Daniel McAdams, sorry, Daniel McCarthy, I almost said Daniel McAdams, now Daniel McAdams, he's a good guy too, Uh, he's the co-host of the Ron Paul Liberty Report, another show you should definitely check out, but uh, great guy, Daniel McCarthy uh, wrote this article, this is back in June, it's called The Neocons Come Home to Roost, now Daniel McCarthy is an editor for Modern Age, a conservative magazine. He was a former editor for the American Conservative. And there's some really good insight here. And I, even though it's in June, it's very relevant. And I want to go over this piece real quick and talk about where I see things moving after this election here in November. I have a wide spectrum of ideologies for my listeners. We have libertarians, conservatives, Independence, moderates without a real political home, uh, me- people who just listen to this because they feel bad for me, so I have some listeners, and, of course, some leftists who want to come on here and try to twist what I say and uh, analyze it, try to argue with me on Facebook, you know, that, uh, oh, you drink plastic straws, That's uh, That's uh, that's white colonial racism. That's heteronormative, you know, they, all these uh, fake words they like to make up. But point being, if you're a conservative, you can get a lot out of this episode. Now, anyone who believes in liberty, who knows we need to shrink the government, who needs we, who knows we need to avoid unnecessary wars, who wants to see the direction of the United States go in the right direction, this is a good episode for you, but if you're a conservative, if you call yourself a conservative, you need to look for the right voices. Daniel is one of the good ones. Paul Gottfried, he's another one of the good ones. Of course, Tucker Carlson, he'd be the most prominent. But these are the real conservatives. Uh, places like National Review, a lot of these conservative ink outlets are have so much neocon influence. Yeah, you might get a good person here and there, a good article here and there, uh, but you have so much to sift through. But places like modern age, uh, that's going to be a good resource for you. I talk about in that episode three how all the main conservative outlets, think tanks, organizations, during the Reagan administration is really when those neocons kicked out the traditional conservatives. You can hear all that in episode three. But that leads to kind of where we're at now. So let's let's uh let's get into this. It's called the neocons come home to roost. Reagan was tarred as an extremist in much the same terms as Trump, yet the neocons supported him. Again by Daniel McCarthy. So this is the opening paragraph. Dolphins returned to the canals of Venice during the COVID-19 lockdown, and neoconservatives are returning to the Democratic Party. Bill Kristol and his colleagues at the Bulwark support Joe Biden for president, even though an anti-Trump Republican of sorts briefly jumped into the race. Michigan Congressman Justin Amash earned the esteem of the Kristol crew when he collaborated with Democrats to impeach Donald Trump last year. But the bulwark feared that if Amash was on the ballot at the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee, he'd take votes away from Biden. Two weeks before Amash announced he would seek the Libertarian nomination, Crystal's webzine warned Could we be certain that a third party campaign from a constitutional conservative would not help Trump get reelected? The answer, unfortunately, is no. So the, the point he's getting at here is actually something I hadn't even thought about, so I find it pretty interesting. You might know uh, Michigan Congressman Justin Amash joined the Libertarian Party and considered running for, or he said he would, very briefly, run for president, and then suddenly backed out in To anyone who followed that, that was really kind of odd. You know, a lot in the mainstream, you know, third party doesn't really have a chance. So maybe you didn't follow that at all, unless you're really into this kind of stuff. But I found it odd that he jumps in late, jumps out almost right after. But the point McCarthy's making is some people claim that Amash would take votes from Trump that's reasonable because Amash, of course, was formerly a Republican, but the case he's making is that Amash would actually take votes from Biden, and because these neocons, because the neocons really are the establishment, because we all know both the establishment, Republicans and Democrats love war, Uh, of course, think about Clinton, think about Obama, think about, and then Republicans, the Bushes, the Cheneys, McCains, etc., that the establishment types would be somewhat friendly to Amash. And being from Michigan, he would probably get a decent amount of votes. And he would take more votes from Biden. And we know Michigan was a really, really tight state that Trump won in 2016. And really, taking just a tiny sliver of votes in a state like Michigan from one candidate or the other could really influence the election. So the case McAdams makes, and again, I hadn't really pondered this. I'm not saying I wholeheartedly support it, but it is interesting is that the establishment talked Amash out of running because he would actually hurt Biden more than Trump. He goes on later... The first generation of neoconservatives migrated from the Democratic Party to the GOP after the Democrats nominated George McGovern for president in 1972. McGovern was a critic of the Vietnam War and not much of a critic of the left-wing counterculture of that era. The original neocons thought that Democrats had become too soft on crime at home and violent anti-Western movements in the third world abroad. Anti-Americanism and hostility towards israel were characteristic of the radical movements that had come to be major players in the democratic coalition so the neocons who had earlier been closely associated with the cold war democrats such as henry scoop jackson switched their allegiance to the republican party the neocons benefited from remaining friends with the network of liberals who were anti mcgovernite but had not abandoned the democratic party or the mainstream media and educational institutions. The neocons were clubbable conservatives in the eyes of the center-left, unlike the Goldwater supporters of an earlier era. Some of the stuff I talk about in that neocon episode about during the late 60s, early 70s, you have a lot from the left come over to the Republican side of things they really didn't like the anti war and the counterculture from the Democratic Party at that time. So you see the Republican Party, unlike the Goldwater, more farther right, you see them drift more toward the left. He goes on Ronald Reagan was tarred as an extremist and an imbecile, unfit for office in very much the same terms as Trump has been. Yet the neocons supported him. Why now do they agree with the standard Democratic denunciations of a right-leaning Republican president? And why is the Democratic Party of today, which is much more culturally radical than the party of McGovern, now acceptable to the sons and daughters of the neocons who left the party in the 70s and 80s? This is a really good question, because there's been a lot of comparisons, um, just like, I, Laura Ingraham's book, uh, Billionaire at the Barricades, comparing kind of the Trump and Reagan phenomenons. So this question, why did they support Reagan but not Trump? And he gets into this, and I think this is really some good insight. If crime is a key concern, today's neocons should be supporting the president who made American carnage a major campaign theme. If Israel is a paramount concern, why aren't they supporting the president who moved America's embassy to Jerusalem? Or again, if neoconservatives long ago became just regular conservatives, as they sometimes claim, why aren't they on the side of a president who had just delivered the largest tax cuts in a generation and whose judicial nominees strike fear into the hearts of those who want Roe v. Wade to stand forever? On religious liberty and military spending too, Trump has delivered what neocons have long claimed they want. Biden, by contrast, will preserve Roe by nominating a justice like Ginsburg to replace her and will be worse on every bread and butter conservative issue. Now, Ginsburg was alive at the time this was written, just just to be clear. Yet yeah, he's the neocon's 2020 choice. Why? If character were their major hang-up with Trump, they could have considered a vote for Amash, but they want Biden, despite his egregious lying and being arrested in South Africa, for example, and the accusation of sexual assault. The most notable surviving first-generation neoconservative, a 90-year-old Norman Potteritz, I might have pronounced that wrong, and I talked about him in episode 3 and probably pronounced his name wrong then, is pro-Trump. But modern conservatism is pro but modern neoconservatism is pro-Biden. What accounts for the generational divide? Before I get into this final paragraph, I just wanted to say, I really thought this was telling about the Israel issue because of what Trump has done moving the embassy to Jerusalem. I mean, how many Republican presidents have claimed they do that and not? You would think the neocons who act like Tel Aviv is the capital of the U.S. would support this and get behind it, but um seems like there's more than meets the eye. And again, um, well, I'll get into that other stuff here in a minute. What neoconservatism has become today is first and foremost a defense of the establishment. Ding, ding, ding. That's it right there. Neoconservatism is the class ideology of the right side of the ruling elite. Trump is an anathema, as are his deplorable supporters. They threaten the establishment and have nothing but contempt for its values. Populism is a return to constitutional democracy. In defiance of elite claims, to moral superiority, and technical expertise, they convey a right to rule. Not only the deep state, but all the prestige institutions in which neoconservatives roost are outraged by what Trump stands for. The attitude and disposition of Trump and his voters are heresy enough, no matter how little elite power may suffer in the short term. So Trump may be stopped at all costs, and Biden, a man who will restore the rule of the enlightened, must prevail at all costs. The neocons know their interests, and today those lie with a Democratic Party far more culturally wronged radical than the party of mcgovern but far less dangerous to the establishment's control there is so much in this final paragraph read this i will make sure you link this because it's not long at all as you can tell that final it answers so much we know if you've listened to what i've said the neocons do not care about social issues uh, they claim about being pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, the bread-and-butter issues for your mainstream conservative Republican voters. But what have they done about it? I mean, I've even said this you know, in my own campaign when I run. Nothing. The establishment has to have these things so they can run again. But more so, it's that they really don't care about them. You see, Trump while not an ideologue, is much more conservative than these quote-unquote conservative elites. And you look at his judicial appointments. You look at what he says about religion, about abortion. These are things your regular, middle-of-the-country, conservative Republican cares about. But the neocons don't. You see, they could care less about Roe v. Wade being overturned as long as they're in power, as long as they can continue to pursue their agenda, which is worldwide domination in foreign policy and a huge national centralized bureaucratic state. That's the neoconservative agenda, and the establishment on both the right and the left, i.e. the Republican and Democratic Party, will always come together for more war, more government, more bureaucratic rule. Of course, the deep state, and Trump was a threat and has been ever since he, even before he took office, really, when he ran and called that out. That's why he's hated so much. The neocons have come home to roost because they started in the Democrat Party. They joined the Republican Party and now, full circle, they're backing the one who represents what they stand for on every single issue, and that is Joe Biden. Someone who's been in office his entire life and has done nothing for the American people, but has managed to enrich himself, has managed to keep his fellow elites in power, So I'm not going to sit here and harp about what the neocons, who they are, all of that. Um, Again, episode three, if you want to hear more about that. If you like this kind of stuff, I can do more topics on it. But what I wanted to get to, and I don't want to go too long, is where is conservatism going to go after this election? Because this is interesting to me, but I think it's important. You know, Trump has not delivered on some of his promises. Um, But he's been the first president since World War II to not get us in new wars. Now, he hasn't brought all the troops home. As he says he will a lot. Why is that? Well, you have to look at who he's been surrounded by. And I've been very very critical of who he surrounded himself with because he talks about draining the swamp but in some cases it seems like he's just replaced the swamp with other swamp creatures and I've been critical of that but the good a good point is that it's not like there's a bench of people that represent the values of Trump was elected to advance waiting to be in office. These type of traditional conservatives, because they have been marginalized, aren't just there waiting. So it's really hard to get the right people in there or to even find them. I mean, John Bolton, for example, he is the poster boy for neoconservatism. I mean, the guy was up to his mustache in the Iraq War. Uh, Thankfully, he's out of there. I think if Trump wins, then there's an opportunity to get more of the good guys in there. But there's just few in far between. So, it's something on the surface a lot of people don't realize but you have to look you know unfortunately we have this gigantic bureaucratic state and there's just so many people entrenched in there Uh, as much as I'd love to see it you can't just get them out overnight so I'm not I'm not um, taking all the blame away from Trump of course but That is the reality of it. But I think Trump's presidency for the conservative movement, and again, if you're a conservative, this should really matter to you, has been good because even since before he was elected, so now we're talking since 2015, five years, I mean, how many people even use the term neoconservative or neocon in their vocabulary? Now, I mean, not everyone has an exact definition and, and you know, history. But it, it's tossed around a lot more. Um, people realize the establishment is the enemy. I mean, a lot of people fall into this trap and I understand why, because the mainstream media, they paint it as, well, it's Team Red versus Team Blue. Uh, not really. It's really the ruling class versus the ruled, the elites versus the average Joe. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, you're telling me there's a huge difference between Mitt Romney and Hillary Clinton? On the surface, yeah, I mean, that's what CNN, Fox News, all them will paint it as, but I mean, it really isn't that. Uh, There's a reason that these never-Trump Republicans would back Biden. (laughs) They share that ideology of protecting their own interests as elites. You see, neoconservatism is, as McCarthy said, a class ideology of the right side of the ruling elite. I mean, I've never heard it phrased that exact way but that sentence is perfect it's perfect but why is it good because people are waking up i mean i mean look at tucker i mean his ratings surge you know do i agree with them necessarily on the trade the tariff stuff no but i mean these guys represent what real conservatism is why else do I think this is good for the movement? I mean, you got to look at the future, the young people. You look at college-age students, you look at millennials. They're The people who call themselves conservatives, who vote Republican, who are right of center, they're not looking to be George W. Bush Republicans. And that's a good thing. They're really looking for this paleoconservative or... At least this nationalist populist style of conservatism and you didn't have that before so i think these last five years have been good on that aspect of it and i would like to see the trend continue now that leads me to this election If Trump wins, you have four more years of this, he gets more of his guys in office, presumably he endorses down-ballot, whether it's Congress, whether even, you know, I mean, state governor-type races, and maybe gets more people with that type of bent, not just a generic, you know, moderate Republican, squishy Republican, but someone who has some type of principle. And again, that's just going to influence whether it's think tanks, whether it's media. Uh, get more of those voices out there. The type of voices, yeah, most of those people who were marginalized in the 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean, they're either gone or, you know, they're out there. But there can be a new generation of traditional conservatives. Uh, likewise, if he loses this election, that. I mean, it's going to be interesting, would be interesting for a lot of reasons. But just speaking in this ideological perspective, that's where it gets real interesting. I mean, do you see Trump, if he loses, in terms of his influence on the conservative movement, as a blip on the map, and it kind of goes back to this old guard, uh, Bush, Romney, McCain style of conservatism it goes the establishment takes over business as usual sure hope not Uh, i hope that strain continues but we'll see um so if he wins i mean it's good for the obvious reasons uh i sure do not want to see a biden harris administration but in terms of just the big picture, the long game for conservatism, um, while Trump himself is not an ideologue, what he represents, the voices he's been able to propel, overall are good. And I think four more years can really build on that to, to make an impression. Because the neocons, while they're everywhere, while, because they are the establishment, I don't think the youth looks up to them. People don't say, I want forever wars and open borders. The young people are much more interested in, you know, strong immigration, putting America first. So, just an interesting take. I thought this article was interesting. I thought kind of seeing how, you know, it'd go into the election. And we'll try to get one more episode out to you before Tuesday's election. Have a great weekend. Enjoy yourself out there. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.